What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the 30th anniversary of the hit family sitcom Boy Meets World, which premiered on ABC on September 24th, 1993. I spoke to actor Ryder Strong ahead of his cast reunion at AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C. in 2018. Hello? Hey, is this Ryder? Yeah. Hey, sir, this is uh, Jason Fraley at WTP in D.C. How are you? Good. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Now, you will be coming, um, I mean, we all remember you um, as Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World, but you'll be coming with your co-stars Ben Savage and Will Friedel, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to be the first time all three of us have done a convention together. I've, I've done a couple with Will, and we've done some good Q&As and stuff, but this is the first time we, we, we roped Ben into uh, coming with us, so should be a blast. <laughs> now, what all? What are, I'm sure you have legions of fans here. I mean, we all grew up watching it. So, uh, what what can they do? Is it going to be a Q and A? Are there going to be autographs? Or what's the deal? Yeah, so we're going to be there the whole weekend. Um, and Will and Ben and I will each have our own little tables, so we can sign autographs for people and uh, you know take selfies with them. And then there's going to be uh, the the con itself sets up uh, like a professional photo booth and. So people can get photos with us individually or with all three of us. Um, and then, yeah, we're going to be doing like a Q&A, a panel, you know, where we'll get up and, and answer questions and talk to the fans and, you know, reminisce about the good old days. <laughs> you said the good old days. Why do you think it's resonated with folks still for so many years? I mean, people still talk about it. I don't, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I just, it's, I didn't expect it. When we were shooting Boy Meets World, like, I really thought that when the show was over, I would never hear about it again. Like, you know, I pretty much left the industry and went to college. Ben went to, to college. We, like, we all kind of went back to normal life. And it was like, oh, you know, this show is just one of those TV shows that kind of comes and goes. Um, but I think people really resonated with watching us grow up, you know? Like, it, it, it's, when you watch, Somebody, you know, you basically invite somebody into your living room every Friday night. And then it kept getting repeated on Disney Channel. And so, like, a new generation really latched onto it, even though the show was on the air technically anymore. Um, and, you know, I think it's a, it, the show, at the time, we thought it was, like, kind of sentimental, maybe a little too dramatic. Uh, but all of those things really, people love that. And, uh, you know, we kind of gave, gave uh, a lot of teenagers the story the storyline they wanted that, you know, their high school girlfriend might actually be the woman they marry and that their best friend will actually be, you know, their best friend all throughout their lives. And that your teacher is really a wise, wonderful teacher, gives you good advice. Like <laughs> it's just, you know, those are things that people wanted um, as opposed to, you know, I think when 
you know, you look back on other 90s shows like Stayed by the Bell or, you know, shows that were similar, like in the sense that they were set at a school. They didn't take themselves as seriously. They were kind of just joke machines and the characters weren't really taken that seriously. They were just, you know, they were more stereotypical. And our show really had a lot of heart. And, um, you know, I'm I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm glad that it's lasted this long. Absolutely. You mentioned that you mentioned uh, sort of how you were you were you at the time you thought maybe it was a little too sentimental. But now, like in hindsight, you've really been able to appreciate it. We had a similar conversation with um, we interviewed John Stamos. He came for the Fourth of July stuff and he kind of said the same thing. He said the same thing with Fuller House. He was like, there was a time when he finished it. He didn't really want to talk about it. And then he just had an epiphany one day and realized that it meant so much to so many people and entered their living room. So, I mean, have you had a a similar, uh, you know, um, I guess, appreciation? now that time's passed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with Girl Meets World, because that gave us a chance to see how many people were watching the new show as a family. You know, people people that grew up with Boy Meets World who now had their own kids, and it was like, they, it was important to them to sort of pass on the show um, because it, it really meant something to them. And, you know, and, and to its credit, you know, not that I can take any credit for this because I didn't write it, but the show was always very smart and um you know it, it it took on issues and i think i had a positive message you know very it, it's very heavy-handed you know mr feeney explaining the lesson of the week and, but it worked you know what i mean i think for kids that that it was a nice way to think about life and um you know to learn about how to treat people and how to be a good person and you know, all those things that as a teenager I found kind of cheesy, like if you were slightly younger, which I think the audience was always slightly younger than we actually were, um, you know, it really would resonate. And, you know, it's a way to sort of get your vegetables with your sitcom. <laughs> nah, man, not cheesy at all. We loved it. We ate it up. Uh, <laughs> um, now, I, you mentioned Girl Meets World. I, you, you got to direct like what, like 18 of those episodes or something. And you're, and I know you've yeah. been co-directing with your brother, uh, Shiloh Strong. Um, didn't you guys, you guys came here to DC for DC shorts, right? You did that movie Irish twins. Yeah. And you got nominated for best time. First filmmaker. Uh, I mean, I've been to DC shorts a million times, but memories of that really quick and coming into the nation's capital and screening a movie you directed for a change. It was a huge, like that was such a a great moment for us because, you know, we hadn't, we, we, that was maybe like our third film festival. And that was, it was really, it was the first, you know, real attempt I had made to go behind the camera. My brother and I, we were, you know, we just decided that we were sick of being, you know, as actors, being in projects and, and, and not having more creative control. So we were like, let's just take a chance and throw everything into a short film, um, which is kind of crazy. Like in retrospect, we probably could have made an entire feature film, but you know, it was a different time and it was still very expensive. You know, we, we shot it on 35 millimeter film, which is kind of unheard of nowadays. And, um, you know, we just sort of put everything into it. And so when we started going to festivals, like we premiered at Tribeca in New York, which was great. And then we went to DC. Yeah. DC shorts was one of our greatest experiences. Like, the, the audience was just so supportive and yeah, we won, we won the best first time director. So it was like, I think it was our first award for the, for the short, you know, and it was just, I remember feeling like, Oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life is direct. Um, and it really eased the transition out of acting, which I was you know starting to make at that time. Cause I really had, you know, hadn't enjoyed acting for a while. Um, and so, yeah, so now we're writing and directing, you know, full time and, got to do a bunch of the girl meets world which is wonderful and very 
you know, satisfying to sort of be there for the next generation of young actors and, and be a support system for them. Um, yeah, and now we're, we're gearing up to, to make our first uh, full-length movie this year. All right. What you got? You got to you tease me with that one. What's that going to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't want to talk about it too much. Because, sure. You know, we're not like in production yet, but we're going to be doing like a, a you know sort of horror-ish thriller, but uh, very very politically motivated, um, you know, good little movie. Um, so it will, you know, hopefully we'll be going to Sundance next year or whatever festivals we can get into, but. Yeah, we're going to be, um, you know, making movies. That's what I want to do, and that's what I got into this industry to do. I mean, my brother and I started making movies when we were, you know, little kids. It's just we got pulled into the acting. Uh, you know, I mean, we were making movies in our backyard, and we were like four and five years old with our dad's <laughs> video camera. So this is sort of, you know, the realization of a long-term dream that just kind of got sidetracked by all this acting stuff, which has been great and, you know, was a really fun, fulfilling journey. But definitely more interested in the in the behind the camera stuff man i love when you said that i uh, i have a twin brother myself so we started shooting we went and saw home alone at like age six and we came home and made boy by himself what what <laughs> what, what was what was your guys uh, early endeavor oh it was all detective stories ghost stories um yeah like so like we, we you know we did one about we enlisted our neighbor and made him uh, an art thief who stole like a famous painting. And then we were the detectives that had to go find it. <laughs> and then we, we managed to combine cowboys and superheroes. So we were cowboys who became superheroes. Ah. So like being a, being a cowboy was our, was our alter ego. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then we would, you know, we would try and do as many special effects as you could in the mid eighties, which is like, yeah. you know, Oh, we spin in a circle and then you can lock off the shot and then jump in there and you're, suddenly in your superhero outfit and that was a special effect you know right, right and then we did a haunted house one where we you know did lots of lots of things with string like tying string to things and pulling it to make it look like it's moving by itself um <laughs> yeah and my brother actually wore a sheet with his eyes cut out as the ghost when we finally saw him but <laughs> that, that's so great yeah, and, and back then yeah. i mean that was hey there was we had no final cut man you're editing in camera you know you're, you're doing oh those little God. magic tricks by cutting and then magically it appeared Dude, two vhs <laughs> we had yeah we had two vhs decks and the camera itself you had to not only hold like this gigantic heavy camera on your shoulder but you also had to carry another bag with the vhs in it so because the, the camera was just plugged into basically a portable vcr right so we all we had so much gear we had to lug around you know it was always like just setting it up on a tripod rather than doing it handheld but but you know i mean I, it was it was always fun i mean that was just days of our lives spent running through the woods doing that um and you know we we, we joke that like nothing's really changed we just now we kind of do it with a bunch of other people running in the woods with us yeah, a little slightly more portable technology, too. Yeah. Um, that's cool. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Um, so then all these years later, yeah, you guys do Irish Twins. And then, I, well, you also did, um, you, you, I guess you've had a little horror uh, slant to the whole thing because you did Cabin Fever. Did you pick up anything um, watching Eli Roth direct? I mean, have, have you carried any of that into what you do? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's part of the reason why we're choosing with our first feature to do a genre film is because, you know, genre films are really where first time directors can make their mark. Um, right, right. You know, it, it's, it's much, it's a much lower risk investment to raise the money on, in the independent film world. And so basically if you aren't making something that's uh, horror or thriller ish, you know, you're taking a big chance artistically so that was that was a big part of our decision to write the script that we did as our first feature, um, you know, because we've 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 been writing stuff for years for other people and selling it to studios. And, but when we when it came time for us to write our own thing that we were going to go and direct, it was like, no, it's got to be a horror. And that was something I learned from from certainly from Cabin Fever and a lot of the other stuff that I did right after Cabin Fever. I, I found myself in the the low-budget horror world, um, which I think most actors in their 20s, those are kind of the only worlds you can get. Right, right. Um, you know, it's like that's that's the, where the work is outside of TV. Um, and, yeah, I learned a lot from Eli. Like, Eli, you know, I mean, God, I mean, Eli, I think he was only, like, 26 or 27 directing Cabin Fever. And, um, but, you know, I mean, he, he, was, he was a horror film expert um, already. And, like, you know, I... I was a fan, but I didn't know that much about it. And I remember working with Eli, I, I asked him, I was like, I, I want a list. And he literally sent me a list of like 50 films to watch. <laughs> and I did it. It was like film school. I just went and watched, you know, and that was how I got exposed to uh, even like Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time and uh, Last House on the Left. And like right. a lot of the things that, you know, you obviously could see had influenced Eli in the way he made Cabin Fever and his later work. Like, I got exposed to a lot of that. Um, I wasn't that in vet, like, when, after Cabin Fever, because, you know, when Cabin Fever came out, it was, like, the first sort of, like, hard R horror film in a long time. It was, like, blood and guts. And then I feel like after that you had, you know, then you had the saws and the, right. and what what Eli went on to do with, like, Hostel. And, I mean, in those movies, like, that took horror in a, like, a, a direction that I am way less interested in. I really... The torture really porn liked, era. <laughs> Yeah, the torture porn era. I mean, it's just like it was. It was an interesting way to go. I think for a moment, um, and you know, I I also think that there's there's patterns that the country goes through culturally. Like when sure. we're at war, we seem to like have more viscerally violent uh, uh, right, horror films, right, and right. so I think that that was all part of that. Uh, but, you know, I've always liked the more sort of magical, like I love The Ring. I love, you know, I love films that are a little more surreal and a little yeah. more magical um, and less sort of in-your-face horror violence. A little um, more, a little bit more of a, a magical realist bend on it or a super Exactly. Magical. And what you don't exactly. see can be just as, or more scary sometimes. So I'm, I'm with oh, you. Yeah. I'm with you, man. Absolutely. Um, bring it, we, yeah, oh, I could talk, I could talk horror movies with you all day. But let's bring it up, <laughs> bring it in full circle back, back around to, um... To uh, Awesome Con. Um, I know, didn't I just see, was it yesterday that um, that uh, Topanga got engaged? You're going to have to console Corey at Awesome Con. I know. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I finally just met her, her boyfriend like maybe a month ago or two months ago, and he's like the greatest guy. So yeah, and I saw that last night. She tweeted out that they got engaged. I was so happy for them. Um, yeah. So I'm sure Ben will, Ben will be fielding those questions when you guys come here. Yeah, so. oh, exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's that's great. Um, all right, one final one about, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. I want to know at what age did you, because you guys are shooting that show, what age yeah. did you realize Mr. Feeney was the dad in The Graduate? 
Oh my god! Did you know I, it going in? Of course no. not. You hadn't seen Are it. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. No, I had no idea who he was. I knew him, so I had no idea who he was. And then our executive producer's name is Michael Jacobs, and we were doing a note session where my, you know, he gave us notes. And um, Bill Bill Daniels uh, responded to a note and said, "Now, Michael," and I realized. Oh my God, he was the voice of Kit in Knight Rider. <laughs> like, I needed to hear him say the name Michael. And then I was like, Ooh! So I ran up to him after the notes. I was like, Were you Kit in Knight Rider? He was like, Yeah. So that was all I cared about. Right, right. Um, that was your And speed, then I yeah. remember I hadn't seen The Graduate, I think, until I was in my late teens. And he, um, he brought it up, I think, because right before, and it's right at the end of the 90s, there, there, there was, the Academy released a list of like the, the 100 right. greatest movies of all time. And The Graduate, I think, was like number six. Yeah. And so he, you know, I think it was the AFI, it was the AFI list, I think. I think it was, it was like, AFI list. yeah, okay. I think it was like at number yeah. seven or something. Like, yeah, yeah, I know what right. you're talking about. Yep, yep. And I remember he came into work and he was like really proud that he was like, look, I, you know, I was part of a film that was in the top 10 and then I hadn't even seen The Graduate at that well, point. I was in, like, what? In, in fairness, you weren't really of age to watch it, but right. um, no. no, but, but that's kind of cool. So you kind of knew him before you even knew what it was. And then didn't you yeah. go, you went on to play Benjamin too, like in, in a tour, like a national tour of Graduate, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did the play twice. I did it when I was 23. I did the national tour and then I went back and did it again when I was 30 in Australia um, which was great to, to sort of revisit a role like after I had gotten a, you know a lot older and changed a lot as an actor. It was really fun to go back and visit. It's an interesting play, you know. It's like it's it's not really. I still think it it, it gets a bum rap because I think a lot of people went in expecting the movie, and it's, the play is much closer to the original book, The Graduate. Right. right. Um, and you know, it's kind of impossible to recreate what Mike Nichols did. <sighs> on film on stage like on stage it ends up being more of just kind of a comedy like more of like a comedy of manners and i think that you know that 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 energy level it always would have been better i think to do the play like really small for like an 80 seat house but when we were doing the tour we would be touring in like three to four thousand seat houses right. and it's like man that's just becomes like a broad comedy at that point you know it's like you're not capable to get the kind of subtlety that 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 the movie achieved and that i think the story deserves uh, but it was a blast. It was fun. Yeah, and it was it was this weird sort of connection between Bill Daniels and and me doing the graduate again, <laughs> playing his son. <laughs> well, yeah. man, you've been you've been more than generous with your time, and I can tell your love and your knowledge for all this movie history, whether it's like Texas Chainsaw or The Graduate, you you, you got <laughs> it shines through in your voice, man. So uh, I'm glad oh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you and uh, Little Bro from back in those early days have uh, kept it going. That's inspiring stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, definitely, everybody, come out check it out. It's uh it's uh, awesome con at the Washington Convention Center, uh, March 30th through April 1st. Ryder Strong, you're the man. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.